Good morning. Everybody hear me back there? Okay. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Jim Kinsley. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I, and our four kids, Danny, Emily, Charlie, and Lily, have been uh, members of this church for a number of years. A little less than a year ago, our family went through a pretty harrowing experience. Um, Catherine approached me a while back and asked if I would consider talking about that experience at this morning's service. Um, I told her I would be honored to share our story with you on Thanksgiving morning because um, we have so much to be thankful for. Now, before I start, I want to stress this is a happy story with a happy ending. Um, but as you all know, stories with happy endings often have scary beginnings. Um, it was two weeks before Christmas last year. Exciting time of year. Our six-year-old son, Charlie, played a basketball game on Friday night. Um, he played great. Woke up on Saturday morning, and he didn't feel great. He was experiencing some flu-like symptoms, including a low fever. Charlie's 101-102 fever persisted um, from Saturday into, into Sunday, despite fever-reducing meds. It was weird. The, the fever never spiked over 101-102, but it just wouldn't go down, and he couldn't hold anything down. Um, Julie could sense something was off and called our doctor, uh, who told us to go over to Hinsdale's ER. After administering some fluids and running some tests, Hinsdale took some blood work. The first set of blood results came back, and the numbers were so out of whack, they were convinced that they actually made a mistake. So they took some more blood and ran tests again, and when they came back, there was no mistake. Uh, so now what? Um, it was clear that Charlie had some sort of blood infection. Um, at this point, Hinsdale contacted Lurie's infectious disease doctors, who ordered heavy, broad-spectrum antibiotics and sent an ambulance to pick Charlie up. You know, anxiety was rising. Um, Julie drove, drove along in the ambulance with Charlie. Uh, I drove down to Lurie's alone, and my negotiation session with God began in earnest. Um, Charlie's blood pressure started dropping in the transport, and when he arrived at Lori's, it tanked. Uh, he showed signs of, of being septic and was rushed to Lori's PICU floor. It was quickly an all-hands-on-deck situation. Uh, you guys can see where this is going. <laughs> I'm going to stop with the play-by-play -play at this point. Uh, I thought it was worth giving you the first part to just give you an idea of how quickly things regressed that weekend and how unexpected what transpired next was. Um, turns out Charlie had a staph infection and something called toxic shock syndrome. Uh, to this day, the doctors were never able to identify a source. He just got so sick so fast. The infection was ravaging his body. Uh, for one long night, the longest of our lives, we just experienced this awful snowball effect. Things kept slipping out of control. Like The doctors kept saying, well, if this were to happen, we may have to do this. And the this is just kept happening and in rapid succession. And all of a sudden, Charlie was in critical condition. And Julie and I were just completely and utterly helpless. We were counseled in no uncertain terms to prepare for the worst. It was unfathomable, just a living, breathing nightmare. 
For hours that night, there were you know, 10 or so medical professionals in Charlie's room at all time, uh, just trying to get everything under control. It was amazing in retrospect to watch. Um, it's hard to describe, it was almost like a symphony of sorts, all working together. And they did it. Somehow, some way, they, uh, they pulled Charlie through the night. As the sun came up the next morning, Charlie was left in the fragilest of states. Uh, they termed it critical stable condition. Although he made it through the night, uh, it was very clear that Charlie was just at the beginning of what was going to be a long battle. He was intubated and on paralytics. In essence, all of his organ function was being accomplished through a combination of machines and medicine while the antibiotics started their work on the infection. The amount of equipment and machines and medicine in the room at that time was just overwhelming. We needed to keep Charlie in a comatose state until the infection subsided, after which the doctors could begin the complex process of weaning him off of his various interventions. That process ended up taking uh, 11 long and grueling days. The care at Lori's was amazing. I can't even tell you how many people contributed in some way to bringing Charlie back to health. That's a subject for another discussion. His, his nurses in particular were just rock stars. I'll never forget how relentlessly they pushed Charlie and his doctors to wean Charlie off of his meds so he could avoid their, their terrible, scary side effects. We didn't feel like Charlie was out of the woods, so to speak, until probably day five or six at the earliest. It's weird. I don't, I don't know what 11 days sounds like to all of you sitting here today. I know that people experience tragedies that are much, much longer. But I will tell you that, I mean, it feels like we lived a lifetime in those 11 days. And that's where I want to go with this. For those 11 days, Charlie, Julie, and I were living minute by minute. Charlie needed us, and we weren't leaving his side. And that was that, you know. And we didn't. We each stepped out of Lori's exactly once in 11 days and both found our short departures unbearable. We took part in all the doctor's rounds. We annoyed our nurses with endless questions. We sat and stared in silence at Charlie and his machines for hours and days on end. And I'm not telling you guys this to try to convince you that Julie and I are dedicated parents or anything. I'm telling you this because I want you to know that the only reason we were able to be there for Charlie for every step of his recovery is because of the support we received from our family, our community, and this church. Many of those people sitting in this church here today. Again, we have three other active children and we're talking about two weeks before Christmas. It's really sad, and I'm sorry guys, but uh, we felt we didn't have one minute to spare for the other three kids during this journey. So when I tell you that we relied on family and community to get us through this crazy time, I mean it in the most literal sense. This wasn't a, can you get Danny a ride to basketball on Tuesday? Can you get Lily to first Congo for preschool on Wednesday? Not even close. We just dropped it. I mean, all of it. And not just like logistically, but mentally. It was like we only had one child for 11 days. We just didn't have the capacity. And because we live in this amazing community and have such wonderful families, we knew that we could trust all of you to just care for our children for this open-ended period of time. 
And you know what? You did. The kids got to and from school, lunches were made, games and practices weren't skipped, coaching duties were assumed, they had sleepovers, they had outings, they had gifts. They probably had more hot meals than they would have otherwise. <laughs> and not only were the kids' day-to-day -day lives not interrupted, but more significantly, they had love and compassion and support and even a little bit of fun during those 11 days. And it all came from this community. This could have been a very scarring moment in our children's lives. But it was just more like Julie and I were away with Charlie and he was getting better and he would be home when he's all good. And I know they miss their brother and their mother, but I think a small part of them even enjoyed the experience. And that's crazy. <laughs> and that's just the kids. The community took care of Julie and I as well. Countless visitors, the earliest of which were both Catherine and Rich. Gift baskets, changes of clothes, cards, letters, hugs, prayers. And I haven't even mentioned the support extended to Charlie. I and mean, the kid had too many stuffed animals to even fit on his bed. His kindergarten classmates made him pictures to hang around the room. Santa came and visited him personally. But more important than any of that, he had prayers and love coming from every direction. Prayers for his recovery, prayers for his doctors, prayers for us, prayers on prayers on prayers. And it was palpable, you know? Um, I'll tell you what, it helped. It all helped. Every gesture, big and small, every prayer. I want to give you one very tangible example. When they finally started taking Charlie off of his paralytics, he would start to slowly come to for a few seconds at a time and then fall asleep. He was still intubated and hooked up to a bunch of machines. So there was this obvious concern that a six-year-old boy, when he wakes up and realizes what's going on, that he would be scared, freak out, maybe even go for his tube or something. So Julie and I were told that when he started coming to, we should talk to Charlie. You know, tell him he's in the hospital. Tell him that he's sick, but he's getting much better. Tell him that mom and dad are there, everything's okay, he's doing great. He just needed to relax and rest and go back to sleep. And we did just that for days. We were happy to have a task and were ecstatic to see his eyes open. But his awake moments were so short and few and far between, and he was on so much medication, you didn't really know how lucid he was or if anything you were saying was really getting through to him. When he finally woke up and we were able to have a real conversation with Charlie, we explained to him what was going on, and we told him we'd been here the whole time, and we haven't left your side. And I'll never forget, he looked up, and with three simple words, very confidently, he just said, yeah, I know. And he meant it. So as a direct result of your love and support and generosity, a six-year-old boy in critical health had the comfort of knowing that his parents never left his side. Now, to me, that's the power of a church community. After 11 days, Charlie walked out of that hospital. It was December 22nd. We made it home just in time for Christmas. We pulled into our driveway that evening, and a parade of neighbors, family, and friends were waiting for him in front of our house with these huge banners and cheers. We turned around to see Charlie in the back seat, and I was expecting him to just have this, you know, ear-to-ear -ear grin. Uh, but he didn't. His eyes were full of tears. Happy tears. He wanted me to make sure I told you that. And uh, his face was 
trembling, you know, kind of uncontrollably. It was such a natural, physical reaction. One that you wouldn't expect from a six-year-old. He was genuinely overwhelmed. Like he couldn't believe these people were here just for him. Charlie was in awe. And I don't use that word lightly. And Julie and I felt that right through him. That image will be burned in our brains for as long as we live. The support didn't stop when we got home. Tara Bolger, a member of this church and Charlie's kindergarten teacher, came and visited him the day before Christmas Eve. I don't think we cooked a meal until sometime in February. I, I thought people lost weight when they went through crisis. Uh, uh, and I could go on. On Christmas Eve, Charlie was weak, uh, but he really wanted to come to our Christmas Eve service. Julie and I were anxious about taking Charlie in his state. However, we all but missed Christmas and could tell that he and the other kids just wanted to feel the season. And so we decided to go. And it was a good decision. So many people that helped us for those 11 days and were continuing to help us were sitting right here. It felt like home, like we were meant to be here. And we felt physically surrounded by your love. And it wasn't like everybody ran up to us with like big displays of emotion. I mean, there was some of that, and that was great. But what got me more were like the silent handshakes with a little extra grip, or the wink or the nod from across the pew or across the church, the pat on the back. You guys were respectful of the fragile state that we were still in, but let us know that you were with us the whole time. Suffice it to say, the Christmas Eve services took on a different meaning for us last year. This is a special place, guys. It really is. Charlie's doing great. He's happy. He's healthy. We're looking forward to the holidays this year. We've moved forward. I can't tell you that this experience hasn't changed us in any way, but I think for the most part, it's changed us for the better. Charlie has to take a lot of showers nowadays. What hurts, though, which you can't shake, is the realization that, that not every story has such a happy ending. In our short time at Lori's, we saw some rooms without balloons and stuffed animals and visitors. And we saw kids that were just all too familiar with life in a PICU unit. And we saw lights turned out for the last time. That's why, as hard as we try, Julie and I can't truly put our gratitude into words. No, not every story has a happy ending. Why? I don't know. Meredith, if you figure that out, fill us all in, please. <laughs> but this one did. And to witness the doctors and nurses and family and friends and community and this church rally around this six-year-old boy, I, like Charlie, when we pulled into the driveway that night from the hospital, remain in awe. It was beautiful. And I think that's worth sharing and celebrating. So we'd like to thank Meredith, Catherine, and Rich for inviting us to tell our story. And we'd like to thank you all, not only for the love and support that you showed our family through this experience, but also for listening here this morning. Please give your loved ones an extra hug or kiss after dinner tonight. And Charlie wanted to say something to you. From the very bottom of our hearts, on behalf of our family. We wish you have a healthy and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you.